Hey everybody, Tyree here with Before I Forget, along with the best host in the history of hosts, Mr. Kevin. Say hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. <laughs> Every day it changes. I'm going to try to get it right one of these times. Um, today on Before I Forget, we have a really amazing guest. I'm happy that she was able to come on. Um, she is very important to me in my life because she is my uh, commanding general in the 95th Division, uh, Brig- uh, Brigadier General Susie Quinlan. Hello. Hey. So, oh, ma'am. So, uh, uh, yeah, I didn't know he was turning it over to me. <laughs> I didn't know he was turning it over to me. So so quickly. We roll. We rolled the punches. We, we <laughs> a lot of crazy stuff going on here. I just try to keep up myself. Like I said, ma'am, I am terrible with introductions. So who you are and in <laughs> your name and you can say the rest. <laughs> All right. So I am a uh, Brigadier General Susie Quelan. I have been the commanding general of the 95th Division uh, for a little over two years. Uh, the 95th Division, Iron Men of Mets, Victory Division. Um, my call sign is Iron Man 6, which I am very, very proud of. Um, our division is a very storied uh, division uh, that goes back to World War II. We can talk about that later if you want. I've been in the military for 34 years. Uh, I live in northwest Arkansas, just outside of uh, Bentonville, Arkansas, with my husband and uh, our three furry animals and our three adult children live nearby. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, I'd read somewhere that you said that your your uh, your dogs rule the house. <laughs> they do. of course they do. Of course, yeah, mine do as well. Um, <laughs> I'm actually wearing my uh, lift heavy pet dog shirt today, ma'am. Just so, ah, yeah. 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 <laughs> what kind of dogs do you have? I have a Catahoula, uh, which is the state dog of Louisiana. It's a hog dog. They're hunting dogs. Um, we we don't want to discuss how big he is since he's currently in an IHG hotel. Oh, okay. Um, whoops. Uh, and then uh, I have another Catahoula. Uh, and then, again, because I'm in an IHG hotel, we won't discuss how, that I have a third dog who is a um, um, Aussie mix. And she is a little terrorist. Uh, she's also very, very precious uh, when she's asleep. All right. <laughs> Well, we'll cut all that stuff out. We'll edit that out of the uh, the show. Right, Kevin? No, we're not editing anything out. It's, it's, it's here to stay. Um, no, okay. If IHG listens to this podcast, I'll be checked out by then. Right. Well, they'll come track you down, man, and be like, you owe us X amount of dollars. Yeah. I did, um, actually didn't know those were the rules until after I had checked in. It was like a little late. So They got to post them. They got to post them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the um, that Aussie mix. So I've got a, a Belgian Malinois. So very oh. similar to. Is it, I'm assuming the Australian Shepherd, right? Is that what yours is? Uh, the Aussie Australian Shepherd. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they are they are terrorists. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> fortunately, yeah, right. Yeah, fortunately, mine's being precious in the hallway right now. Just passed out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you have been in the army. You commissioned in 1989, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, see ya. Served a little bit of time on uh, on active duty, mm-hmm. and then came into the reserves and had various uh, positions in the reserves. I do want to mention that you have a Catahoula, and you mentioned the Louisiana State uh, uh, Louisiana State dog, um, is because you have got a couple of degrees from down there, right? 
do. I, uh, I got my master's degree from Northwestern State University uh, in Natchitoches, Louisiana. And so you can tell I lived in Louisiana a long time because, number one, because I pronounce Louisiana, Louisiana, mm-hmm. uh, instead of Louisiana. And number two, I know how to pronounce Natchitoches. Um, <laughs> I uh, heard of that. <laughs> um, it's spelled Natchitoches. Uh, it's, it's, um, um, the brother city for it is Nacogdoches, Texas. So, um, legend goes back. It was two brothers. So anyway, uh, and then, yes, I got my PhD at LSU, uh, in Baton Rouge. So I've spent a lot of time, uh, in Louisiana. So, and now, and now, uh, so are you, are you an Arkansas native? Yes, mostly. I grew up in South Arkansas. Uh, it's, I, I consider it home. I'm definitely a Razorback. Go. Uh, I mean, I didn't go to school there, but in Arkansas, you don't have to go to school there to be a Razorback fan, right? Uh, go Hogs. They did win last night. And moving oh, on. Oh, barely. Did you yeah, watch that, no. man? Oh my gosh. Uh, I did not get to watch any of that because I was with my PAO at a PAO <laughs> dinner. Anyway, uh, but my husband was texting me throughout the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I grew up in South Arkansas, currently live in uh, Northwest Arkansas, but I actually was born in Germany and moved over here when I was four, almost five. Uh, I wasn't an American citizen until I was 15 years old. Oh, wow. I actually did not know that. Um, so I can't be president. <laughs> uh, well, you can be governor, though. I I I think so. I'll be honest, I haven't checked the Arkansas Constitution, but... Uh, I guess it would be would be state by state. I was just thinking because you know Arnold was governor of California, right? Yeah, yeah anything flies um, here in California though, so it's okay. <laughs> right under the that's rug. true. <laughs> that's true. Do you know? Uh, do you know where in Germany you you were born, man? Yeah, I was born in Nuremberg. Uh, okay. I, my yeah. both of my parents were German, um, and but divorced shortly after I was born, and then my mother married an American GI, uh, and when he got out of the army, moved over here. He adopted me. He, he's my dad. Um, as a matter of fact, we literally forget that uh, we're not blood. I mean, like literally forget. I, there's been some amusing situations uh, because we forget we're not blood. So, That's pretty funny. That's yeah. a good tight oh, yeah. family. It's tight family. Quite funny. Um, so I was going to ask, okay, so you, you came in the Army in 1989, and I don't remember the exact year that the Women's Army Corps was dissolved and, and women were fully integrated into the Army. But I know it was in the late 70s. My mom, actually, my stepmom, she served in the Women's Army Corps. Um, and I always thought that was, like, the neatest thing because I was like, you were in the whack long, like, before, you know, it was a, or like, towards the end, I suppose. But, and so here you are, <clears throat> um, you commission into the, the Army in 1989. Within, I would say, probably 10 years from, you know, the whack or the women women being integrated and the whack done away with. Um, what does that, what does that mean to you as a woman serving? So I, I, am a big proponent of recognizing and giving recognition to the history, right. To the people who came before us. And, um, and you're right. I, I, and I should know this history better myself, right. I think it was 1980. I think that might've been the initial class into West Point, um, I also know because I've talked to some of them just how very tough it was for them. Whereas I don't often feel like I had it that tough. I definitely don't feel like 
and and don't get me wrong, I know there's some differences because I, you know, because I am a, a female in the military and I and I know there's some things that don't always go the way they should because I'm a female and we can talk about some of that. Some of it's amusing, some of it not so. Um, but at the same time, I don't feel like I had it nearly as tough as those early pioneers, both the WAC and the early ones in the uh, in the regular army who had integrated mm-hmm. in. So, because I feel like yeah. they had already paved most of the way or much of the way by the time I came in. Yeah. So I was reading earlier that women, and I can't remember who the president was. Uh, 1948 was when it was signed in the Women's Integration Act, and then. Um, and then fully integrated, I, I believe it was 1980s, what it, it sounds familiar. But when we, we recorded with Ma- Major Sydney Jacks, and, you know, like she, she was um, the 18th female to get her Ranger tab and the second female um, into Ranger Regiment and the first female to get her Ranger scroll and Ranger tab um, or to have both. <laughs> and you know, some of the backlash that she receives having served um, in that particular type of unit with, you know, those those accolades like she receives a lot of a lot of a lot of hate so i can only imagine how how women um back then in the in the the 80s during the super masculine macho times (laughs) you know like the kind of kind of flack they would have caught so um but still i mean with 10 10 years i mean women were integrated into combat arms about what was it 10 years ago going on 10 years not even that long Mm-mm. No, not even that long. No, in 2016, I was still participating in an OPT. Please don't ask me what that stands for. I'll f- I always forget. Um, but, you know, one of those kind of working groups to talk about it. And um, there was only some pilot going on in 2016. So it was, I mean, that's only, what, seven years. So, okay. um, and that wasn't, that still wasn't full integration by then. So, um, you know. We're still right. we're still getting there. And and I guess until we quit counting, you know, the eighth, the eighteenth, uh-huh. the first, you know, because I'm the first uh female uh commanding general of the ninety fifth division, until we quit counting, then is when it becomes commonplace, right? And then it's not so much of a big deal as when we quit counting. But as long as we're still counting you know, then there's, there's still things out there. I will also tell you that for my own self, a lot of times I just bully my way through the China shop. Right. So I don't let people, um, knock me down or let me be the China piece. I end up being the bull because I, I'm just, I'm not going to put up with some of that. And then I've never been in a situation like some of those women where I've been the only one there. I may be, it may have been like, you know, one of five, I mean, not one of five, like five of 60 or three of 12, things like that. But I've never been the only one. And I can only imagine how tough it is when you are the only one, right? Or even one of two. Um, I've never been in that situation. Uh, and then you, you know, put the bullhorns on me and I am Taurus. You put the bullhorns on me, then, you know, I don't see, I don't tend to notice some of those things because I just don't let them happen to me. That's excellent. What are some of the examples of uh, times where you had to put the bullhorns on? Let's hear it. 
So I, I won't necessarily say I've put the bullhorns on, but I just don't let them bother me so much as, uh, you know, they're, they're very noticeable. Right. Mm-hmm. So I started noticing that people would acknowledge, okay, when we're in the military, one of the first things we're taught is rank. And then the second thing we're taught is how to stand or walk when you're with somebody of a higher rank. So anyone to my left should always be of a lesser rank, right? Right. So even if you can't see my rank, and I get it, sometimes they say it's hard to see the rank. Uh, you could always look at my eye, I mean, my hat instead of here, but you know, Um even if it's difficult to see, if they're standing over here to my left, they should not be a superior rank. Well, I started noticing that I would be out and about with a male, typically one a little bigger than me, uh, which is not difficult. And people would acknowledge the male and not me. And I'm like, what the heck? Um, and I, I mean, at one point I was even with a sergeant major. Right. So it wasn't even two officers. It was a sergeant major. And they acknowledged the sergeant major rather than me. So for a while, I thought, well, maybe it's a size thing. Well, do you guys know or or remember uh, General Cook uh, was Colonel Chris Cook, 1st Brigade, Yarn 3rd Brigade. So maybe not. But anyway, he was the 1st Brigade Brigade Commander. He was a colonel at the time. And he is not much bigger than me. Sorry, Chris, you're not. Um <laughs> And we were walking down the sidewalk of my building, the building I'm the commander of, 20 people coming up the sidewalk, all spaced out, and every one of them saluted him. Every one of them. Huh. And I was, and I pointed it out to him, and he's like, oh, my gosh, you've been trying to tell me this, and I didn't believe it. He said, never mind, I believe it. And, you know, so that was an instance where I think I was not acknowledged because I was a female. They just could not have – they just couldn't fathom. They saw Colonel and couldn't fathom that I would outrank him, right? Um, but because I am the, that kind of that bull, I just – I, I don't care. I just kind of let it wash over. Now, that being said, I do expect, and they do when I'm with the NCOs, they they shut that down. They correct it right away. Um, but the other way I'm the bull is I just don't let them do it. If I even see it coming, I, I just, I plow it over, right? And and uh, I don't let it happen. So that actually reminds me of um, a friend of mine, Barbara, she actually used to be in our unit um, as a drill sergeant a while back. And um, she was telling me a story about how she and her husband were out at some place. I don't know, it was a restaurant or whatever it was. And her husband had asked if they had a military discount. He didn't serve, but she's a veteran, right? And they said, oh, yeah, absolutely, sir. And thank you for your service. And, you know, and she's standing there. I mean, obviously, like, male, female, right? But, like, and, and he's the one that asked, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe she asked and they said it to him. I can't remember how it went. But either right. way, she wasn't acknowledged in this. And it is it is a really interesting thing to, like, just people in general don't typically acknowledge females um, as being soldiers or Marines or veterans in general. Like, it's it's just it's just for some reason it's still so uncommon or so hard to think of women can serve in these roles too. And now, I mean, like, so like we talked about 2016, women were beginning to integrate into these combat arms roles. And you know, so like to say, like, I, I know a female drill sergeant, um, I was at uh, the USARC best warrior competition with her and she, she's an 11 Bravo. Um, uh, she had reclassed into 11 Bravo 
And, you know, at first I was like, wow, I've never met an 11 Bravo female drill sergeant before. Um, and she was the first person that I met. But like after a while, I like, talking to her, I'm like, you're just a normal person and it's not that big of a deal. You know what I mean? And and I, I think you're right. And it is an interesting perspective to, to say that, like, the, the, the day we stop counting, the day we stop acknowledging you're the, the first, the 15th, the 31st or whatever, not to say that it's not important for women to serve in these roles, but to, to just to kind of show that, like, this is normal. That's right. That we're not that we're no longer unicorns. Right. Um, now, as long as we are unicorns, I think we need to have we have to keep acknowledging that uh, and we have to uh, celebrate that. And, um, you know, just like the Women's History Month, um, because we are still unicorns and uh, in many respects. Right. Um, but yeah. And, and by the way, I have a similar situation. My husband is not military and, but he carries a uh, camouflage backpack. So when we travel a lot of times, they'll, they'll say something to him and, I'm, and, but he's very quick about, Nope, it would be her. <laughs> it's good on so. him for calling him out. Like it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. It's not just in the military. I mean, clearly in us, in society, women just aren't taken, uh, as equals to men and it's really lame because people like you people like Sydney Jags people like any other woman in any other position of power can clearly do the job people need to get over that old 1930s and 40s and 50s yep. mentality like this is 2023 now we're a new country yes. so i actually uh i'm an, a teacher a teacher by trade english teacher uh and i used to do a exercise with pronouns and I'd leave the pronouns out and say something about a doctor and a nurse and, and count how many people put he for doctor and she for nurse. Um, so, yeah, well, that, it's still there. That's interesting. That's kind of uh, that fall under psychology or sociology. I mean, it's a, that's an interesting study because, yeah, there is this association that doctor is a male and the nurses are females. Um, right. It's pretty well. My, my stepmom was a nurse for 25 years. 26 years, something like that. She retired during COVID and then got tired of being at home with my dad and went back to work. But, uh, you know, so like uh, growing up, like that's, that's who I, like, you know, and I would like to say that I think of nurses as, as women because my mom was one, but at the same time, I think you're right. Like I, I probably would have thought that anyway, because anytime I would go visit her at the hospital, there was a lot of women there, but there were male nurses right. as well. Um, I had a buddy of mine who I used to work with at an armored truck service and um, he went to uh, school for nursing. And I was like, really? I don't know why my mind was blown, but it is it is it is really interesting that we have these associations. Or a male elementary school teacher. Oh yeah. Yeah. Here in California, right? that's uh that's everything's different. We have tons of male teachers in that particular capacity. And we, and, and we need them, right? Yeah, we do. The young kids need those role models, right? Mm -hmm. And they need to know that it, it it's okay for a, a male to be a, a teacher, a male to be a nurse and uh, you know, so <laughs> We need we need those bright those role models those good role models on you know from all perspectives. So when I think on the the flip side to that though, ma'am, um, so okay for sure, like we need to stop counting all of you know say identifying women as like this is the first one or whatever, and just say like this is the norm. But me in the meantime, while we have these unicorns, do you think that women in those positions, these, these unicorns, like for you example, like the, you said, the, the first commanding general of the 95th division. Um, so obviously like, are you being looked at or women in these positions being looked at a little bit more 
um, uh, a little a little harder under the microscope. Um, Whether we are or not, I think most of us perceive we are, right? And I feel like that in many instances we feel like we have to be better, that we have to do better, we have to we have to perform better, we have to be stronger, we you know we have to. prove ourselves more. And maybe that's not all women, but I know in, in many instances, that's the way I've kind of felt that I have to, you know, I have to make sure that I'm more above the standard that I, um, you know, that, that, that there are some lines that maybe a male could cross that I would never think of crossing and, you know, and it's perception, right. But I mean, we all know, and you as drill sergeants definitely know that, um, um, the, uh, the perception is reality and, and we have to accept that. So, uh, you know, absolutely. Whether, whether I'm right or not, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, you know, the way I feel like I have to perform. So absolutely. And you know, I, I kind of think, I believe that like if everybody kind of performed like they were under the microscope, man, imagine, imagine how, how, how well everything how better works. we would be. Right. Right. Um, but I do that. I do see that with, with a lot of female drills when they're on the trail and, and speaking with them, you know, a lot of them feel that like they have to perform, they have to outperform us um, or they have to do better, run faster, be harder, be up all day long, much longer than we are. And um, at the end of the day, from my perspective anyway, and I've been in the unit for a while, from my perspective, I just want to work with drill sergeants that want to do the job, like genuinely want to, I don't care what gender you are. I just want you to train, lead, mentor troops, right? To the best of your ability. And, and, you know, wouldn't life be great if everybody had that attitude, right? That it didn't matter, you know, what your gender is, what your race is, what your sexual orientation is, what it doesn't matter. As long as you are doing the job that you have signed up to do, um, you know, and do it to the best of your ability. I mean, and it doesn't matter drill sergeant, right? Just what, whatever in life, if we all just did what we were supposed to do, how grand life would be. Mm-hmm. So. What we you, solve all the world's problems. What would you say, because it's a common thing that we hear, uh, when we post information about anything, there's always a critic. And, and a troll. There's the, what would you say to these trolls? Like, hey, I'm a person who can do the job just as good as everyone else, if not better. Why am I getting the special treatment here? Why am I getting the extra scrutiny? Yeah. Um, I, so I would tell you if it's on the uh, 95th page, I'll let my PAO answer it. <laughs> Although we did have uh, what we thought was a troll not too long ago. Um, and so we kind of brainstormed ways to answer it and turned out, no, they, they were just kind of being genuine. It just kind of came across as, as wrong. Um it, it would depend to be honest if it's on my personal page uh, oh i'm gonna i'm gonna answer it and go after them um but i'm just you know um acknowledge the fact that they're that they're mean demeaning people who you know have to build other people up in order to make themselves feel better i um you know and um but yeah i mean if it's on my official page my, my pao is gonna answer it and be a little nicer than i would be so with the times changing with technology and things like that, people can actually flat out reach out to your POA on and, and say some funky stuff. Yep. Uh, and, you know, we're not allowed to take it down. You can't? No. Wow. It's, an official, it, it's an official page. Um, <clears throat> so we're not allowed to, you know, it's a matter if you've ever been on any of the, you know, very senior leadership in the military, you'll, you'll see, um, 
you'll see, or any of the government pages, you'll see some really nasty stuff out there. And you wonder to yourself, why, why did they leave it there? It's because we're not, uh, we're not allowed to take it down. Um, FOIA rules, transparency. I, I, I can't answer it all. Captain Swain could probably tell you more, but, um, you know, we acknowledge those that we feel like we need to acknowledge because, um, you know, we, we just, we can't let them slide. And then trolls, they just let them slide. You know, you, you most people can tell when they're, they're trolls, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, <clears throat> I, I didn't know that though. Uh, but it makes sense. I mean, as, as far as, I mean, with, with like transparency as well, um, you, you do see it a lot on, on like the president's uh, uh, social media for sure. Um, yeah. Governors, um, but you know the the places where I typically don't see it, <clears throat> um, like I follow the ninety fifth on both Facebook and Instagram, and I really haven't seen a ton of ne- negative comments. Um, I follow a few other like um, the one seventy third uh, brigade commander uh, Colonel Klepper over in Italy. <clears throat> I follow his his Instagram, and it's just nothing but positive stuff. And what I've noticed is, um is if you do a good job and you genuinely care about the troops in your command, um, you don't, you don't get a lot of like negative feedback. It's, it's, it's right. kind of crazy how that works. Like, and, you, do yeah. a wow. you get positive feedback. Right. Wild. Right. <clears throat> I, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that, uh, you know, everybody, all 2000 plus people in the division, you know, think I'm doing a great job. You know, I, I'm sure they're, uh, they're not, uh, I mean that there's people out there who don't think I'm doing a great job, but I, I would like to say that I think that overall we as a leadership team, uh, cause I'm not just a single person, right? I mean, I am a single person, sorry, um, an individual, but I have a team, and I feel like we do a good job of taking care of the soldiers, taking care of the mission. Um, and and I think that shows, right? Um, and not just because we don't have trolls, but I think it shows in the things that we post on social media, right? So, Well, that's one thing that I, I really – and I, I had spoken with Captain Swain about this too. Um, you're probably the most personable uh, general I've ever met, <clears throat> Um you're like you're approachable, right? And I feel like any soldier at any level um, in the 95th or outside of the 95th, if they had a question, a concern, a whatever, and they see you at a, you know a public event, obviously, like probably shouldn't reach out to your you know commanding general um, directly, or whatever. But you know whatever. Oh, um, they do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there there are a lot of troops out there that seem to forget that we have chain of command. But um, you know, if if it is something that like they like, that I really need. The, the the voice of this person, then you're that approachable. And that's one thing that I actually have really appreciated about you is because I've, I've met you at several events uh, in Wisconsin, Oklahoma, um, oops, a lot in Oklahoma. We're happy in the coop holding area. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and and every time you are that approachable. I mean, you're, I know you're, you're a busy person and you, you know, you're kind of in and out when you are at training events and various other things, but like, what was it? Uh, the 95th best warrior competition a couple of years ago, myself and first Sergeant Sawyer, uh, took a picture with you and you had your mask that had the mustache on it. <laughs> no, hey, by the way, I want a copy of that picture. I've got, I've got it, man. I'll forward it. Okay. All right. Forward that to captain Swain. <laughs> I will. But that's, that's one thing that I really appreciate about you. And now is that, is that by design? Is that by intent or is that just that's naturally just how you are? 
Yeah. That's just me. Um, and, and I will tell you, I have always been me. And now don't get me wrong. I knew from a very young age uh, in the military that I, I wanted to be a general, right? I mean, it's like wanting to be an, an you know, a doctor or whatever. You, you kind of know where you want to go. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I took jobs. I took care of my, you know, career and things like that. Um, but I was never going to change me based on whatever I wanted to do. Right. And when I was a captain one time, I had my major tell me, cause we were joking around about something and I don't remember what I did, but I told, he told me, he said, you are the most irreverent officer I have ever been around. And I said, yeah, but I'm not disrespectful. Um, he's like, no, you're not, but you're just irreverent. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Bow down to you and, and you know, that worship at your feet? And he said, see, it's that attitude. You're just irreverent. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I've just, I, I'm just me. Um, that uh, what you see with me is what you get. Yeah. What you see think, is what you get. That's cool. And I think that's the name. That's going to be the name of this episode. Irreverent. <laughs> Just leave it, let, leave it there. <laughs> right. Um, no, and I, I actually, so it's, 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 it's to me, you, you're, you come off, you very, you, you absolutely come off as, as an officer, as a, as a general, but you also come off as a person. Right. Right. And oh, I, and I, and I <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you meet those people in the military who are just very oh, like they're just oh gosh. one thing and that's it. I and I they wonder me up the wall too. Don't get I mean they do. So Yeah. Well, and so I'm wondering, so do you do you think that there's a so we're in the reserves and um and have been well I've I've been reserved for most of my career. I think you've been reserved for most of your career. Um do you think that plays a role in that as well? Or again, like is that just part of who you are? Reserve reserve yeah. culture? Yeah. Like a reserve culture. I I don't know that. I mean, but that's a good question. I haven't thought about that because, um, you know, is it because I'm in the reserve? So therefore we have split personalities, right? Mm. Um, because we have our, you know, twice the citizen, citizen, soldier, soldier, um, you know, but at the same time I was this way, you know, I did an active duty tour, uh, as a Colonel, a two year active duty tour as a Colonel. And then I did a, a deployment as a major, um, you know, I was still like this. That was just, that was still me. But again, by that time I had quite a bit of reserve time behind me. Um, you know, would I be this, and I don't want to use the term loose, but would I be this casual? Maybe that's the term. If I had a, 34 year active duty career. I don't, I don't know that that's interesting to um, thing to maybe look into or study. I don't know how you would study that, but I, you know, I don't know. I think it's one thing that I've kind of noticed anytime I go on orders um, and I'm working with the act my active duty counterparts, um, the way I interact with troops and other people versus how they interact with troops mm-hmm. and other people um, it is, it is different. And, and right. so I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that it's you, what Tyree called like reserve culture, um, where we, where we have that switch because outside of the military, you are a Dean assistant Dean. I, I, I was an associate Dean. I just got laid off. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's all right. 
Jeez. I just, sorry to bring that up, ma'am. I, uh, no, no, that, quick, that, no, that's yeah, actually, it's okay. I, uh, as I told somebody uh, the other day, I, uh, I, I was an associate dean for a, a for-profit university that obviously wasn't very profitable. But with with that being the case, though, I mean, here you are on that on the civilian side, having to speak to people like a normal person, you know, staying away from military terms and right. being able to like have empathy and speak to them as uh, as opposed to how we sometimes do in the military, and it, you know, it comes off as speaking down um, or like speaking from one rank to another rank. Uh, and I think that's, I mean, from from my perspective uh, or from my experience anyway, I, I guess. When I was active duty, that was that was the life. When I came into the reserves, it was a it was a huge transition for me. I was, you know, we were active. Tyree and I were active for four years. I was IRR for a year, and then came into the reserves into the ninety fifth. And you know, I still had this like active duty mentality. And I'm working in a company where like guys have been in the unit for a few years. And by net, for me now, I've been in the unit for. I'm doing math in public now. Um, I don't know, sixteen, eighteen years. Plenty of time. And um. And, uh, you know, like first time, sorry, for example, um, mm-hmm. he, he was my supervisor at ECS, right? So at work, he was Derek, you know, and in my personal life, um, he's a good friend of mine because we were drill sergeants together, right. you know? So like you, you, you now have, he's first sergeant, so right. And you, and you have to play that game, right. Mm-hmm. To say like, when I'm in uniform, he is first sergeant and what first sergeant says when, um, I see him outside of uh, work or we're uh, uniform and at work. Now he's a super, I don't work there anymore. I work, I work for the VA now. Um, but now if I see him outside of a uniform and work, you know, he's just first name basis. And it's just this really interesting yeah. dynamic that we have in the reserves. So when I first got in the reserve, one of, uh, one of the units that I was in in Utah, um, the major, there was a major and an E8. And if I remember correctly on the civilian side the e8 was the superintendent of schools and the major was one of the either principals or teachers or maybe the e8 was a principal and the major was a teacher bottom line the role the supervisory role was exactly reversed right um so yeah i mean you get some of that right um you also get um i won't call it fraternization because it's not but you definitely have more um um relationships that cross ranks, I, I think, in the reserve, because so much of it is based on their knowledge of them in uh, as civilians, not within the reserve. So, and as long as it doesn't violate good order and discipline in a unit, um, what, you know, what does it matter? Right. And, um, and I think that's the um, thing that, kind of separates us from the active duty is because there is no knowledge outside of the military for an active duty person, right? Or, or very seldom would there be knowledge outside of the, um, uh, the workplace. Right. Yeah. I've, I've often believed that, uh, so Tyree and I deployed to Iraq, um, on active duty in 04, we were infantry, um, and I've, I've thought about it so many times since then. And, and, and this is just one of the ways, like I, I was a hater of the reserves, obviously as people on active duty are, um, until no I experienced it. And once I experienced it, I learned a ton about the, the benefits that being in a reserve unit has, mm-hmm. like when you're mobilized, when you're deployed, for example, 
um, a medic in the National Guard and Army Reserves is likely a, an EMT or works in the ER, has dealt with trauma on a constant daily basis, whereas an active duty medic, no no shade to those guys. They do, they do great work. But the likelihood that they've experienced the same amount of uh, traumatic work um, is pretty low. So when you're deployed, what kind of medic would you want to have? Somebody who's experienced with um, sucking chest wounds and tourniquets or... You know, someone yep. who has worked at the aid station every morning and takes your temperature. No, yeah. absolutely. We, we uh, you know, coming out of the MP world, we say the same thing. Almost every one of our MPs, not all, but almost every one of them are a police officer on the civilian side. Whereas your MPs on active duty, you know, they they might have done some law enforcement. They, you know, they might have done some of this, but it's kind of fragmented, right? Because they have to do sergeant's time. They have to do this. They have to go to this training. So, you know, when it comes to those hard MP skills, you know, I'm going to take my reserve MP for the most part and put him up against an active duty MP any day of the week. I will I will tell you, because uh, I had this discussion very recently um, with a bunch of um, retired, we had some retired folks come in this weekend and wanted to come visit uh, visit me, and I visited with them yesterday. and And the subject came up that the attitude of I, you know, I was on active duty, I couldn't stand the reserve. I think is more at the lower levels um, than it is at the leadership. Because I had the exact same attitude. I was on active duty during Desert Storm. Uh, and so, and, and oh, by the way, in the 5th Infantry Division, Fort Polk, Louisiana. So if you go back and look at Desert Storm and and um, some of the uh, call-ups during Desert Storm, you'll, you, you'll, you can read about why some of my attitude was. But once you get to some of the higher ranks, you start seeing... Uh, and you start understanding a little more about unit capabilities and what the units bring to the fight as opposed to, say, one individual, right, that kind of uh, makes you think that, oh, that one individual, so everybody in the reserve is messed up that way, right? Uh, and you're absolutely right about the the benefits to, to being in, in the reserve. You get to, you know, do what you want as a civilian and then still get to um, – I, I shouldn't use the words play army, but that's kind of what my husband says. So I'll go ahead and use that. I get to, you know, play army um, and then, you know, but still be a civilian too. So I say the same thing and play army, but I mean, uh, in, in re- and in reality, it's, I get the pleasure of, of being on both sides. Um, yeah. Cause I, I, I've, I've loved serving. And uh, at the same time, I love the freedom that comes along with being a civilian and the experiences that I get on the outside of that. And being able to use both to benefit both worlds. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I'll tell you, um, when it comes to when we go on mission, um, and I know it's, I see it, I see it a lot more in the last, I don't know, five to eight years or so. And it's been first time Sawyer's big mission too, is whenever we go on mission, we want to send up troops that are uh, more than capable of doing the job and represent the Army Reserves and the 95th um, and the, the Army Reserve Drill Sergeant Program um, to the, the best of its ability. So, like, as I'm sure you've, you've heard, if you've ever spoken with him, and I know you have, um, and if he, I'm sure he's mentioned it, right? Uh, when, he, when he was at Fort Sill, I'm sorry, Fort Leonard Wood for those two years, he, you know, a stellar performer, right? Went from being the Reserve Drill Sergeant new guy to 
uh, acting first sergeant in his second year, had the highest PT score in the brigade, was extremely proud of that, still is extremely proud of that. Um, and, uh, and that's, and that's, that's kind of the mentality that like the, you know, and it's funny about him is that I remember before he ever picked up troops, we were talking and he said, man, I'm, I'm nervous. I've never done this before. I don't know if I'm capable. And I was like, I, I have known you for at this point, probably a year, you know, he, he did stellar in school and, you know, he had this, he had this mentality that like, I just don't know if I'm ready. So he studied, he, he went to work. Um, and he, he made sure that he knew his job inside and out. And that's one of the, um, the benefits of, of working with somebody like him is because it makes you want to do that too. Mm-hmm. And as a reservist, I think it's an extra, it's an, it, it, it's, it's an extra layer of difficulty. Um, so it's kind of like being a woman, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. You have to do better than mm-hmm. the active duty guy in order to prove yourself. Right. Right. Welcome Absolutely. to my world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. And that, and that's really the, the truth of it. Cause you don't want to go up there and be messed up. And you, that's you right. don't. And, that's right. and, and, and again, back to that perception thing, right? An active duty person might can get by with this, that if you did it, Oh, look at that reserve soldier, you know? And, and can I just say one thing? One, if, 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 and and this was tried several years ago and it's obviously still in the lexicon, but if we could get everybody to quit saying reservist, right? Cause you know, that in a way is kind of a pejorative term, damn reservists, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead reserve soldier, it's just a, you know, reserve soldier as opposed to active duty soldier. But anyway, the bottom line is you and I both know that yes, there, there may be things that an active duty soldier could get by with that they would say damn reservist if we did it. Um, and so, you know, as a reserve officer, you know, sometimes I feel like and so I have that double layer, you know, female and reserve that I have to make sure I am just, you know, almost perfect so that there's nothing derogatory that they can say, um, you know. So, yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> well, and, and like you said, like your world is, is, is made more difficult because you are also a reservist as well. But yep. um, I, I will say, like, my experience in the, in the 95th has been. Uh, for the most part, great. Like everywhere that I've gone and, and, and interacted, I'll tell you, doing that, the USARC Best Warrior and the 95th Best Warrior as cadre and getting to interact with all the troops from across the 95th and across the Army Reserves and seeing the level of um, professionalism and just the, the the technical and tactical proficiency that a, a lot of these troops come, that they bring to the table on top of managing their civilian lives. Um, that's That's pretty astounding. It really is. I mean... Uh, Corporal Benedict, uh, for example, he went all the way as far as he could, uh, drill sergeant Latham, you know, I mean, these guys are out there showing that like, Hey, uh, the army, the army reserves, um, we're an actual force too. And this isn't all to say, and I, I know where it kind of sounds like we're bashing on active duty. I, we're not. No, um, no. I mean, not at all. It just, you know, it is what it is. And by the way, you know that uh, Benedict got promoted by Lieutenant General Daniels to sergeant. And like I called an, him on, an on-the-spot promotion by the three-star general. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah actually, is. I actually did, I do remember seeing that post now. Yeah. Yeah. So, it is sorry. really awesome. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sorry about that, Sergeant Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, 
but no, it is, it is one of those things that I, I, I'm super, I'm super proud of having, you know, served in the, in the 95th and, um, that we really do uh, an amazing job. And it is one of those things where like, you know, when you, when you, when you were a, a younger uh, soldier and you would listen to higher ranking people talk about like, uh, you know, this has been the best unit ever, blah, blah, blah. This is, we outperform everybody. And, 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 you know, the lower troops on the ground, like, we don't have a way to track those met- uh, metrics. Like we don't have a way to like prove it. And I mean, I'm not going to say, Hey, prove it. But like, I've been in the 95th for a while and I've seen how the 95th performs in at various levels. And, our drill sergeants really are like amongst the best in the army. Absolutely. Um, within the last, well, since I've been in command, so at least within the past two years, one of our drill sergeants at Fort Leonard Wood was drill sergeant of the cycle, not reserve drill sergeant, not uh, drill sergeant of the cycle. Um, you know, so that shows you that they're that they're not using any differentiation. And ironically enough, at Fort Leonard Wood, we actually do keep our patch on. So there is some differentiation going on at Fort Leonard Wood in terms of, you know, branding our, our ourselves, but yet at the same time, you know, trying to be, you know, part of them, right? Um, but yeah, he was drill sergeant and, and I, I apologize. I can't remember who it was, but, uh, bottom line, we had a drill sergeant of the cycle, uh, at Fort Leonard Wood. So, you know, we, we do, we absolutely do the same job and, um, and generally, generally we get acknowledged as, um, uh, as such. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it, so, and on that, like this, this last year, I did, I was part of the continuity. So I did a full cycle, um, uh, crossing over into the fiscal year at Leonard Wood. And yeah, we do keep the 95th patch on. And I actually, I actually love that because mm-hmm. if the, the troops, they notice everything and they ask questions and they want to know why there's a, a nine on my shoulder and it's mm-hmm. actually a 95th and they want to know what the 95th is. And then, and I've always been transparent as a reserve drill sergeant. I've always been transparent about me being in the, uh, in the reserves. And the reason I do that is because I want the troops to know that that's what I am. I don't want to lie to them in any way. And I want them to, you know, see or pick up on any differences that they may pick up on between the reserve drill sergeants and the active component. And additionally, the reserve and national guard troops in the formation, they need somebody to look to when they have questions about the reserves that active duty just can't answer. Right. And, uh, and I mean, and we all know that the best way to, to recruit is to tell our stories, right? And to have have a story and and, and to be a walking story. So, um, you know, that's that's absolutely why you know branding is important. At the same time, I understand why you know, for example, Fort Sill keeps it all the same. I get it, and I'll be honest. As the division commander, I could make a directive one way or the other, and I choose not to because I feel like it's brigade's missions and not mine. But um, you know, and, and I'll be honest, I don't know which way I like better, right? I, I can see both sides of of the whole, you know, patching thing. So personally, I, I like I like wearing the 95th. I right. mean, that's that's who I'm with. I understand that while I'm while I'm there. So I mobilized to Fort Sill in 2009 and we wore the, the 434 patch, um, so but I'm, I'm a fan you, of it. Are you aware of how much I like the patch? Uh, you know, I was going to ask. Uh, at some point, ma'am, uh, how, and you know, how, how much do you like the 95th, ma'am? I got it tattooed on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did. Hold on. With, with your call sign? 
With my call sign, Iron Man 6, because as I tell people all the time, I'm very, very proud of being uh, the first female commanding general of this division. I really am. Uh, But I'm also very, very proud to be Iron Man 6. So... And there it is, folks. Folks, if, if if you can't, if you're not watching the YouTube video, uh, the general just whipped her shirt off, <laughs> her top, and uh, she is that showing is one us. Way of that. She, I mean, from a civilian level, and she's showing us her beautiful tattoo very proudly. I think that's we that's can't see awesome. it, Terry, because you're talking. Well, there it is. You know, there it is. So you know, I don't try not oh, yeah. to talk much. Anyway, so yes, I had it tattooed. So my next one is I'm going to get the flag on here, right? So I'll have a complete uniform. Nice, so, that'd anyway. be cool. Yeah, right. yeah, I remember seeing that. And uh, and uh, oh, geez, when was that? Well, National uh, Tattoo Day. <laughs> Wait, there's a day for that, ma'am. I should yeah, know this because I, I, I have got... tattoos. You would think I would know that. Yeah, I was yes. say, you probably have it on the calendar. Somewhere. I have Just several more. That it's, that's the only one that. Uh, Sort of shows in a uniform, but only in the short sleeve shirt. So, well, and so, um, so today you were out doing land nav, and so that's one of the other things that I really enjoy about you is whenever we have tra- uh, training events, you'll actually come out and participate. Um, so, for, so if I'm here at my headquarters, because I have a, co- I belong to a company, right? Um, as far as I know, every person in the military belongs to a company. Um, or, or a battery, right, or a detachment. They have have a commander. So every general has a commander. So I have a company commander, and she provides a – she produces a training schedule. I mean, granted, I approve it, but still, she produces a training <laughs> schedule. I, I'm a soldier. I have to participate in, in training, and I should participate in training. Um, I left – I did leave a commo class early to come here because there was no way I was going to get all everything done. But, yes, I did land nav this morning – Although I should I should clarify that I actually just may maybe hiked more than I navigated because um, we were so, so it was yes I mean up and down I was so angry at the end that I didn't set my watch on at least a walk my garment on a walk so I could see what my elevation profile was but I will say I had over ten thousand steps by the time we were done. Uh, so it was, it was a pretty long hike, but I, we can't honestly say I did any navigating cause I never ran the map or the compass. Just saying. Sergeant Major and Sergeant Barnett are, uh, are, in, uh, uh, enlisted assistant there. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was just going to mean like, I don't know. You just, that's just something that uh, I've, I've really enjoyed, um, about having you as the division commander, because when you do come out to events, like you'll participate, like, and you're not afraid to do that. Um, and it's like you said, like, regardless of where you are in your career in the army, <clears throat> you're a soldier first, um, whether you're uh, the, the youngest private serving or, you know, the four star. Right? right. And, and on that note, um, what's next, ma'am? Um, are you staying in the 95th forever? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, no, it's tatted to her I, arms. I, it's forever. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I hope when I leave, I get the uh, inducted into the lifetime 95th division. You know, there there is a certificate for that. Uh, hopefully, they'll uh, they'll give that to me. Right? <laughs> um, change of command is uh, tentatively scheduled for July. 
we do not know who's replacing me at this point, and we do not know what's happening with me. I didn't know that you were leaving that soon. I'm pretty mad about it. So I was supposed to left left in January. It's a two year tenure. Jeez. I've okay. Um, I think I, that really I, stinks I, that that happens because it's sometimes right when you really get your hands into something, right when you get really get these projects developed. And now you have to leave and hand it off to somebody who I'm sure is capable. But absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and it's sad for us too, right? Because we, we get things going or, or we've, uh, you know, like I, I've, we're already planning best warrior competition for next year, right? In the symposium. And, and I finally told Sergeant Major, I said, look, I, I just can't keep fumbling around. Well, we're not going to be here, but I said, we're just going to talk as if it is us because we can't, there are some things that you can't wait to plan, Right. Huge events like a best warrior competition and symposium can't we can't wait. Uh, so we have to drive on and and to quit talking all awkward. We finally just talked as if it was going to be us, even though we know it's not going to be us. But it just it was getting awkward trying to go third person for anyway. It was yeah. So yeah, um, I you know hopefully I uh, I. I've left my stamp or will have left my stamp on this division. And, uh, uh, but I know it'll be in capable hands, whoever takes over next and, uh, and they'll do the same thing. Right. I mean, everybody puts their, their stamp on, on an organization and you just always hope that, you know, everybody makes it a little bit better. Right. No, I, I, I agree. I've, I've, I feel like I've had pretty good fortune of having a ton of great leaders, um, in, in my time in the army. Um, especially in the reserves though. Right. I mean, my last, uh, battalion commander, um, Colonel Cole, I mean, mm-hmm. guy was amazing. Genuinely cared. Sorry, Major Carr genuinely cared about the troops and, and the job and, um, really appreciated having them around. And like I said, first Sergeant Sawyer and Captain mm-hmm. Schneider, like just great people. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm, I'm actually really sad that like uh, Captain Schneider's leaving too. Um, right. but you know, that's just how it goes in the army. Um, that's right. and, yep. and it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a bittersweet thing, right? Because yeah, uh, if you have somebody who stays in a position for a while, eventually complacency can kick in and then you know, your metrics start to slide and, you know, the unit cohesion may, may fall apart. Uh, you bring in new people and, that you know, you get fresh ideas, you get uh, fresh innovation, can you take the unit in a completely different direction. Sometimes that can be good. Sometimes that can be bad. And that's just kind of how it goes. But right. it, it's all a learning experience for, you know, all involved. Right. Because if you see a bad example well, now I know what to avoid when I get to oh, this absolutely. point. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, funny, uh, you were talking about metrics. Did Did you read the article, recent article about metrics? I don't think so, ma'am. I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, General Daniels, and rightfully so, is trying to make sure that we all focus on readiness instead of metrics, Right. And making sure we do training, good army training, because we are soldiers. We shouldn't be spending all of our battle assemblies doing administrative work, right? And I get it, absolutely. Um, but there was an article recently that she wrote. No, was it the one she wrote? No, it's not the one. It's uh, Somebody was reporting on her and her, the culture she's trying to change. She wrote an article about culture and changing culture. They wrote an article about the changes she's trying to make. And they quoted a drill sergeant battalion commander. Didn't say what division. 
And uh, and I can't remember if the same person made this quote, but bottom line, the battalion commanders that they were quoting were fussing because their division commanders and their brigade commanders were still focusing on metrics. And it went so far as to say the effing generals should be fired. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And and so you've brought up metrics a couple of times. So I want to touch on that for just a second because I feel like I don't chase numbers, right? Like I don't ask, I mean, obviously I don't ask First Sergeant Sawyer anyway, because, you know, levels of chain. But still, I don't ask Colonel Herbst how many people have completed the PHA, right? Um, He may report that to me, but what I'm hoping is he knows who is behind that number, right? Because we're not chasing numbers so much as we're hoping we're taking care of soldiers because if a soldier doesn't get a PHA and then he later say has a heart attack in the middle of the ACFT, what questions are going to be asked? And could that PHA maybe have caught, you know, some kind of abnormal heart arrhythmia, right? Or he turned 40 and got the over 40 physical and discovered, you know, Hey, we, we start breaking down. Um, and so anyway, it's just, it's funny because you mentioned metrics and kind of triggers in my head. And it's one of the things that I uh, keep preaching at the YTBs is the fact that I'm not chasing numbers and I hope they're not chasing numbers. What I hope we're doing is looking at the individual soldiers and what do they need to be ready, right? Because that's our job as a soldier is to always be ready to go off to war, whatever or to go off to whatever we're called to do, right? In our case, we're called to, you know, go do a mission at Fort Leonard Wood or Fort Sill. And can you do that if you're not ready? And if you and and can you do that if your first sergeant hasn't made sure you're ready, right? So anyway, I just just my plug there. <laughs> no, I can agree with that, and I think um, kind of like how you said the term reservist should be replaced with a reserve soldier. Um, to to say metrics, uh, at least from how I'm understanding it, is is it is a a, um, a matter of readiness, mm-hmm. um, and so I would to, agree. But the person who wanted to have me fired, right, is conflating <laughs> metrics and readiness. So when I ask, "Are you ready?" You know, I, I I hope that person understands that that doesn't mean I'm asking, you know, for all the numbers. I just want to make sure that, you know, that that you're ready, that, you know, that you're physically fit, that you, you know, that you're mentally fit, that you've gotten your P, PME. And how can I make sure that you are ready and that you and that I'm and that and taking care of you. Right. I'm taking care of you to make sure you go and get your physical and that you get your dental done because those, those are health considerations. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah. Well, well, in terms of readiness, being that we are a, a, um, a training division, right. Um, so I, I, for us, for example, we're, 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 um, our little, our company, we're our satellite and we're down there by Fort Chaffee. Mm-hmm. And so we have the benefit of being right next to Fort Chaffee with, with all the uh, amenities that they have in regards to the training. And I've heard I've heard troops, um, some of my uh, candidates mention, why are we doing this? We're supposed to be drill sergeants. And I, I explained to them, well, how can you teach a trainee to do this when you haven't even done it yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, one and two, ideally, 
and I heard you say this at Fort Leonard Wood last year, ideally you're not going to be in this unit for a long time. You're going to be here three, four years and hopefully take what you've learned here to the rest of the army. Absolutely. And you don't want to be the bozo who doesn't know how to put the singars together. That would have been me a few minutes ago. But, I, I, you know, and that's what my class was, was common. We had to put singars together and uh, and communicate, you know, over singars. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Because you're not, I mean, drill sergeants aren't always going to be in this unit. We hope they're not always in these this unit, right? Because uh, a drill sergeant is a engineer or an MP or a medic or a logistician first. A drill sergeant is a broadening assignment that we're very thankful that y'all wanted to do, that they wanted to do. And, you know, all these different MOSs come together to produce these great soldiers who train um, civilians, recruits to become a, a soldier. But then it's time for them to go back to being soldiers in the engineering world or the MP world or, you know, or wherever they come from. Yeah. No, 100% agree. And I, I, I say that having been in this division for a very long time, but I didn't want I, to leave. I did notice that, and I, but I wasn't going to call you out on it. So. <laughs> well, and so the, I, that was the thing. I had the, the 11 Bravo MOS, and it's not a lot of places for me to go into reserves. True. Um, and then I, I did ultimately reclass the 92 Yankee and 31 Bravo, uh, but I'm looking at retirement now. So, um, I, I, you know, in, in, in my personal life, I feel like, I, you know, I, I'd like to move on to other things. I don't want to do anything. I love being a drill. So it's, here's here's what I tell soldiers like that. And and in the reserve, we can't make you go to another unit. They like they it's funny cuz USARC likes to try. They put out these little tenure policy letters, right? That you're only going to be a drill sergeant for 4 years or whatever. But we can't make you go. And as long as you accept the consequences of those decisions, and by consequences, we mean you may have stifled your promotion ability um, and, you know, which eventually could lead you to have to retire maybe before you wanted to retire, um, those types of things. And, And but I say that as long as you still stay up on your army skills, right? Because you even mentioned it, that sometimes complacency and stagnant, you know, so as long as that doesn't occur, as long as you keep yourself, um, not just ready, but keep yourself up to date so that you're not complacent and not stagnant. And then as long as you're willing to accept personally, the consequences of the decision, then stay a drill sergeant for as long as you want to stay. Right. Um, it might not be the best decision for you professionally, but you've made that decision. I had that discussion just today with Sergeant Barnett. Um, you know, he's been in the command group at division for a long, long time. It's probably not the wisest decision from a, uh, you know, professional standpoint, as long as he's under, as long as he understands what he's possibly done to his career, that's his call to make. Yeah. It's true. No, and, yeah, and I, I accepted that um, because, like, I, I love being a drill sergeant. It's the most then, rewarding then stay, job that I've ever yeah, done. And stay being a drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. I well, would just ask that you stay up to date, not become complacent or stagnant, right? Well, and that was part of my decision to retire. Um, so last year, when I went on that cycle, um, my experience in the army is outdated. Um, as, as far as what I can give to these troops, because they're, I'm working with drill sergeants who um, are, are closer in age and in time and service. 
uh, to the troops or training than I am. And so what I, I felt like what I was giving them um, was old, um, outdated information. Uh, I deployed to Iraq in 2004 and they want to know about combat. Well, I, I can tell them about combat in 2004, but a lot right. has changed since then. And now GWAT's over. Um, and so that was kind of a big part of it. And so, like I said, I didn't want to do anything else in the army. Um, I love being a drill. And so that was my decision. But there are ways to still, to stay relevant, right? There's ways to, um, you know, besides PME, there's different ways of getting professional development to keep yourself up to date. Uh, you're right though. Our experiences, I, I deployed in 0506 and, uh, during the height of the surge. So, um, you know, even, I mean, my experiences are, are, I won't say not valid, right? I mean, they're valid and I won't even say they're not relevant. They're relevant, but it is not the same as, you know, someone who has deployed much more recently. So, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, ma'am, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you're at uh, Battle Assembly right now, and uh, <clears throat> they might want you to finish up that combo class. I don't know. No, uh, <laughs> I think they do. <laughs> Every now and then they're glad to get rid of me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, not no, no, ma'am. No, absolutely not. We have never said that ever. However, with that being said, I don't know if you know this, but we have a battalion battle assembly coming up in April down at Fort Chaffee. Um, yeah, I think I looked at those dates. What were those dates? Uh, f- third, fourth, fifth, and no, wait, four, five, six, and oh my gosh, five, I think is it? It's four days. No Lord. The eighth. Oh, it's 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 five, six, seven, eight, April. Yeah, sorry. Are you serious? You know that's Easter. That's what we said, ma'am. Um, so we're, the last it's it's a four day battle assembly ending on Saturday. So. Oh, gotcha. Okay. It's kinda no. you know, in February I ended my symposium on a Saturday. Do you know why? Why is that, ma'am? I was gonna get everybody home in time for the Super Bowl. Absolutely. See, that, there's, that's there's the leadership. other non-traditional. It's the other non-traditional holiday that you have to observe in the Army Reserve, right? Mm-hmm. Super Bowl, Mother's Day, and I also do Father's Day. Although when I first came up in the unit, in not in the unit in the Army Reserve, um, a lot of units would um, um, schedule during Father's Day. It's like, oh, it's not as important as Mother's Day, and I'm like, really? What? So yeah, I make sure that when I'm reviewing. Uh, my HHC commander's um, battle assembly schedule for the year. I I don't allow her to schedule during Super Bowl, which really restricts February because you've also got President's Day uh, and Mother's Day. So I, I'm I'm actually surprised they scheduled anything for Easter weekend period. But at least you're getting home in time for for Easter. So right, um, yeah. And you know, every year they always have, and it's it's it's, it's been my biggest pet peeve. Um, they always have battle assembly on my birthday in September. Um, it's pretty rude. Yeah. I, so I've almost always missed my birthday too. Cause my birthday is the third weekend in April. And, and so avoiding things like spring break, Easter, things like that. So my birthday gets hit quite a bit. Well, that's perfect. If you RSC with us in April, then you don't have to worry about that. It's too easy. <laughs> I'll take a look at those dates, especially <laughs> since it is close and it's before Easter. So I'll take right. a look. Right on. Well, ma'am, uh, again, uh, thank you for being on. Uh, we don't want to take any more of your time and um, the division needs you. <laughs> and 
but yeah, no, really appreciate you taking the time to be on with us today and, and speak with us. Um, it's been a pleasure to be able to, to speak with you and ask, uh, ask you all the questions and, and, uh, but yeah, thank you so much, ma'am. Tyree, you have anything? No, I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, I yeah. guess we'll go ahead and close this out. Right. So if I could, I'm going to, you know, kind of repeat what General Daniels says at the end of all of her broadcasts about, you know, people first, ready now, shaping tomorrow, Iron Man 6 out. And there it is. So, everyone, thank you for listening to Before I Forget. Please like, listen, share, subscribe and watch. Kevin, you got anything? Uh, no, other than the the, the, the photo that uh, Captain Spain just sent me of uh, the CG showing off her tattoo, very happy. Uh, um, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Uh, again, I, I, I'm just uh, glad that we were able to round out uh, Women's History Month with uh, the 95th Division um, Commanding General Brigadier Susie Quillen. So, yep. Alrighty. Thanks. <laughs>